decoded. Welcome to this sixth series of the Founatech Decoded podcast. After a five-month hiatus, it felt like a really good time to circle back and tune in to key figures that we haven't yet talked to in the startup and venture landscape who are really helping inform what the future of that landscape may look like. I'm delighted to be able to start this series talking to Joe Lewin, who is the CEO and founder of Foundy.com. Foundy are part of a shift, which is, I guess, breaking stranglehold, maybe in, certain, in startup logic, of, the, of, of what an exit means, of what a merger means, and in, in many of what, what a trajectory that represents a win means. I think it's absolutely super integral to how this landscape shifts. It actually came up in the May event, live event that we did. It started to come up as a theme. So I'm delighted, Joe, to be able to talk to you and explore this sort of shift in this landscape from from your perspective um, on the podcast. So welcome. Thank you, Dan. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me on. Pleasure. Um, so let's just dive straight into that because I think that's what will be the most interesting. Let's talk about, you know, from your perspective, why you tackled this problem and why you think the time is ripe to sort of reframe the notions, expectations and parameters around what constitutes a startup exit? Sure. I, I think um, there are a lot of dominoes at play in the market at the moment in terms of the urgent need to modernize the end-to-end exit and acquisition process, um, including the silver tsunami. So there's a lot of um, retiring business owners. In fact, about 57% of baby boomer business owners. So that's 59 to 75 year olds, I believe. They want uh, to retire in the next five years, but half of them don't have an exit plan. And what I mean by that is an internal successor to take over the business or an acquirer. Uh, Of course, they want to liquidate the shares. So an acquisition is often quite sought after, but there's not really any suitable solutions out there, uh, at least modern ones, to help them sell the business for the best valuation. Similarly, in the tech sector, unfortunately, there's there's a drop in available funding. So a lot of, I think, about 60% drop since 2021 in available funding. So a lot of startups are looking to get acquired and seek early exits. But again, very few solutions to help them get acquired. A lot of traditional advisory firms whilst they've been in business for, for a few decades, haven't got the experience, knowledge, or buy network specifically for SaaS businesses, for example. Um, and that's where Foundy helps to, to solve that issue and bring the process into the 21st century. So when we talk about that, sort of bringing it to the 21st century, let, let's just talk about and focus on the logic of what has represented an exit and where that came from and I guess you mentioned like sort of, I think you said called them silver unicorns. Is that, uh, um, silver tsunami. Yeah. Sorry, a, sorry. Silver tsunami. It sounds like the Avengers. Um, yeah. uh, a weird, a weird, a weird startup Avengers. Um, so. Um, I my marketing manager about that. Yeah, that's quite good. Yeah, I'm sure an AI can produce a great image of, of that. Um, but, but, but let's just talk about from your perspective. Um, what do you think? So a lot of this sort of founder tech discussion comes about undoing logic that is no longer relevant. And so much of the logic of 
of, of the startup is like, you know, the solo founder or the dynamic co-founder sometimes, you know, who go on this journey and they scale through all the risk. It does sound like, it does sound like the Avengers. Um, and then, and then, you know, they eventually end up as a, a unicorn at the pot of gold at the end. Uh, but obviously anybody who's been around that knows that the risk and failure rate and attrition rate is so high in that story to make it like a fairy story. There's no reason, there's a reason it's called the unicorn because it's so rare, but why do you think that is so, has been so predominant when it's been so rarely applied and so rarely uh, um, fulfilled as a promise? Why, why do you think it's stayed so dominant up to now? Well, I think there's a, a disparity between bootstrapped family owned businesses versus those that have raised VC capital. And I think is this, warped perception that has been created with the media hype and and publicity of big Silicon Valley-backed companies raising hundreds of millions at billions in valuation, despite them only generating kind of small amounts of money. So it's this this, um, dream world of of what's possible. And I I think 2021 uh, compared to now has has brought things down down to earth. it, just in terms of realistic valuations relative to financial performance and, and strategic value. So what 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 that's led to is a lot of companies just not wanting to raise money anymore. They want to stay bootstrapped. They want to grow capital efficiently. And um, and it's created this incredible community of, of up and coming uh, founders uh, that are building bootstrapped businesses. And it is now possible with the Internet, with AI tools to grow to 1 million or even 10 million ARR in the matter of a year or, or a few um, with, with, with the surge in demand of, of, of these tools. And, and you can do so without raising funding. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a really exciting space. But the, the whole 1,000x or die mantra um, is, is hopefully coming down to earth a little bit more. I, I think even VCs, angels have always, uh, well, most of them haven't necessarily wanted their startup portfolio to, to get to a thousand X or just collapse. On, on, but instead, VCs are now beginning to consider the, the opportunity where a hundred million or 200 million exit is still fairly successful. Um, and it could, could still return a proportion of their VC fund. Um, yeah. In that you touched on something that has, has again, uh, I've seen crop up. I was in a conversation the other day about this is that, that we're going to see the first let's just go back to the, the unicorn metaphor yeah. but with the solo founder using these tools you know a lot of those are kind of sit within the category of founder tech and they are going to be able to leverage and go on that journey themselves with the fractional teams is another term obviously we hear now which is, i think is a really healthy thing um and so I'd be interested in, in 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 your perspective on that. Do you think we will start to see that emerging? I mean, it's, it's a continuation of what you said, but do you think that continuation can can can, can get to that level? The one person founder CEO driving yeah. that company all the way to exit, um, yeah. you using these tools. So no, so because one of the things that came up previously was actually really good VCs, really good angels should look to what founders could do almost with the least amount of capital, leveraging the most amount of tools. And that should be a symbol of success and be a delta that's actually valued when looking at making an investment. Yeah, absolutely. I think the um, thesis and and, and and perspective from due diligence from VCs or even angels on startups is, is altered slightly. They want to see companies uh, that can grow very capital efficiently and with a very small team. I, I think 
um, people used to glorify, glamorize having large teams. I, I, I did it. I openly, willingly admit that I used to talk about, oh, we've hired more and more employees. Oh, cool. But in reality, it's like, would it not be more preferential just to maintain a small team and, and grow to profitability sooner? Um, I, I think you, you're right, Dan. I think with a smaller team leveraging fractional part-time contractors um, and, of course, all of these incredible tools, some of them AI-enabled, um, it is possible to build a very successful and large-scale business with just one or, or two, two people in the team. In fact, I think in the next decade, we will see a few unicorns emerge with teams of, of, of less than five staff. Um, it's quite exciting. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's part of the, I think, maybe what makes Foundy possible yeah. are these changes because you've got, as you said, the diminishment of, of, of founders wanting to take capital on and they want to grow capital efficiently. You know, the term you've used a few times, which I think is, is a perfect descriptor of that. And then you've also got these tools enabling capital to be used more efficiently. So you've got like those, the combination intertwining of those two forces. I'm sure some other ones that get to the point where something like Foundy becomes possible. Because do you, do you think this would, it would have been possible, say, in 2018, 2019? Do you think you would have been able to get the traction that you have, the the adoption that you have, sort of the awareness that you have? Or do you think it is because of these forces converging and, and the timing of that? Yeah, I think there's two, two angles there to the question. So firstly, I think the, the susceptibility of founders' willingness to use technology tools um, to deliver processes like deal, for example, seed legals for le yeah. um, doing uh, legal documents, deal for HR and accountancy, um, and many of these kind of property marketplaces and, and tools. Back, back in, especially kind of pre-2018, people are less inclined to use these tools because they were less commonplace, less accepted, uh, I think, in society. But now it's very commonplace uh, to, to, to buy everything online, especially from, from COVID. Everyone's paying, uh, even investing millions and millions in companies without meeting people in real life. Everything is done online now. So there's that susceptibility of uh, willingness uh, from, from users wanting to, to sell and, and buy businesses, even when they're worth millions of pounds online without never meeting people. On, on. So, yes, it has laid the foundations for Foundry um, and its end-to-end M&A marketplace. Um, and... Um, and, and and then secondly, the, the second prong there to, to my answer is the technology from our standpoint has is, is become far more advanced, especially the, the catalyst from um, AI, ChatGPT, has, has been phenomenal. So uh, we've, we've got some very exciting tools coming out that involve um, auto-reviewing uh, complex legal documents within minutes. So rather than having to get a a lawyer to review a share purchase agreement, which is typically around 50 pages long, you'll probably pay a lawyer about 40 to 80 grand to review that, and it might take them a month or two. This tool, you'll be able to upload it, and within uh, a few minutes, you'll be able to get lawyer-like feedback in the margin on the right-hand side. You might still need a lawyer to supplement the, the, the advisory, but it, it will do the large majority of the work. So it's quite, yeah, it's, um, it's quite interesting. Yeah, I mean... What you've touched there with the lawyer and the team is that um, I think what's also shifted is status, right? So there used mm -hmm. to be, what you, when you were talking about team, just put it bluntly, it was a status thing because a team showed that you had got capital in, that you could hire, that the idea was valid. It was sort of signaling to the market a lot of, lot of things. And equally, having an expensive lawyer um, 
was another signal, right? So, so walking and saying, oh, we've, we've paid someone 40 grand to review something. It's a signal that we are successful. But as you're saying, like, if, if when there is this sort of acceptance of these tools, um, which are democratized, so that the status is removed, but what's prized is efficiency mm-hmm. over status. That's, that, I hadn't quite thought of it like that, but that, that sort of flip of efficiency trumping status is, seems like a very, very key driver to what, to what we're talking about and and then realizing actually once you get your head in that place all sorts of things become possible all sorts of things yeah. can be re, re, rewritten and remodeled absolutely. would you agree with that I, I, absolutely and, and and status and and building on that it's it's attention it's uh, people's schedules they're extraordinarily busy no one's got time for anything um so given that how fragmented it is people want to do things quickly and efficiently and to be able to log into one digital platform and to be able to access everything you possibly need to buy or sell a company at your fingertips within a moment's notice is phenomenal that no longer do you need to have to do a agonizing search for suitable lawyers tax advisors accountants brokers managing the MA process with email threads all over the place while still running the business Instead, you can sit back, relax, and sell your company uh, in less than 30 days uh, on, on, on our platform. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really come around full circle. So give me, you must have had them, the top three or four objections when you were setting this up, where, where the reality, because it is the reality, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about you know, some actual specifics around founding in a second, but give me, give me some of the objections if you said no one will ever do that you must have had no one's going to do that no one you know give, give me we've all had them but give me some of your favorite ones for sure for sure oh i, I get that all the time but it, I, I well i think i did when it was still an idea phase and i'll tell you what there's a vc just today and i've i have i've always had a lot of respect for this this gentleman he runs a, a major fund and he i said i wrote i wrote to him like a year and a bit ago and i sent him like I had a quick call and said, oh, what do, you, what do you think of the idea of founding? It was just an idea, no pitch deck, literally just him yeah. it. And he was like, it wouldn't work. It won't work. Uh, like, don't do not do it. He was being polite and, and helpful. But I, it kind of, I took it to heart a lot. Uh, you know, I, he thought there was no market for it. People would be using traditional advisory firms, law firms you know, for a long time. And just today, just today, he reached out this morning via WhatsApp to say, I should check in and see if we're fundraising because he'd be interested in getting involved, which was like massive uh, feeling of positivity uh, because, uh, yeah, I was pretty kind of taken back and there was a moment that I wasn't going to do Foundy from from getting that feedback from him. So uh, it, it, people often kind of, especially with a lot of these digital tools, and I speak with a lot of traditional advisors to this day, and of course, if they've been using similar processes for the last decade or so, Naturally, there's going to be pushback, but in reality, we don't want to compete with traditional advisory firms. In fact, we want to partner with them, work with them. We've, we've got 10 of them uh, just in the last uh, two months now. We've got 10 traditional brokerages signed up using our platform to list their sell-side clients on our marketplace so that they can access our buyers, our digital tools, etc. So Foundy strives to become the, the rightmove.com of M&A, so similar to the property marketplace. Just, just going back to again, not naming names. I think, but I think it's relevant for some, maybe some of the younger founders listening to this. You, we've all had those. This isn't going to work, right? And, and, yep. and this is this is never going to work. And because there used to be this asymmetry, because capital had this allure, whether it was true or not, it, it obviously capital, you know, is, is 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 the form of currency that gets lots of things done. But because this logic is shifting, well, I, I've seen examples of where someone has sent me um this isn't going to work 
I've met that objection with using basically this new kind of logic, you know, around this is the reason why people will now behave like this. And in the same day going, oh, yeah, of course, this will work. You should be scaling this quicker. And like, and it just makes you like all good founders kind of have to ride that. But but mm -hmm. I think it, there's a serious point in it, which I think is because the logic is getting rewritten there is less that 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 sort of objections from vcs is is flimsier sometimes it's incredibly valid right and they're providing very very valuable feedback saying this is there's a, a gap here yeah, or this true. is reasons to not progress there's a lot of risk here or there's competitors here but sometimes when it's a an opinion based on kind of market protocols and standards that those objections I find are getting less and less valuable and and that smart angels and VC are sent and this has been the point of well, part of the point of this podcast smart smart investors are realizing that actually jumping on these shifts shifts first gives them an advantage right using all this for becoming yeah. literate in all of this and using it so you've even got that as another trend of going actually there's really and a lot of them are exited founders right or solo capitalists who go I'm, I'm, I see no, I don't want the status. I don't want the inefficiency. I want to make deals as quickly as possible and like, you know, and, and, and kind of expedite things as quickly as possible. Still oh, obviously yeah. calculated. And I think that the, the, that sort of that the flimsiness of the, of the objections because it's built on, on an older logic is becoming more apparent. And I think that does facilitate change. Again, I hadn't quite ever thought of it like that, but do you, do you, would you agree with that? Like in terms of kind of those, those objections are less valid a lot of the time. Yeah, I, th I think I think uh, credit to investors, angels, VCs. They see thousands of investment opportunities on a yeah. weekly basis, let alone a monthly. And you know, I, I've met VCs that have said, look, they missed out on Stripe during their seed round and things. And they and yeah. they wear it as a as a badge. Of course, and, and you've got to have respect. I mean, they, there's a lot of investors that that will have passed on potential unicorn opportunities, but they just don't. They've got a kind of three four minutes to make a calculated decision and then off they go they have to move on to the next one and hoping uh that they, they find that gem so yeah absolutely they, they've just got to have the inf whatever information they have and relative to the experience that um that they've gained um I, I think what's what's quite interesting is is the someone said to this at, at sastock the other day in dublin the and correct me if i'm wrong if anyone's listening to this but apparently the majority of uh, investors out in Silicon Valley are ex-founders, so they're operators. Yeah. Whereas the majority, or close to the majority, of, of investors here in Europe or the UK actually have finance finance backgrounds, yeah. and they may not, or, or, or other, and they haven't necessarily built uh, or operated or, or exited a company themselves. So which is really interesting, actually, and it's the risk appetite that changes, and that lead that, that channels a lot into their decision making and the way they perceived risk and challenging the status quo when, when startups bring in a modern solution, et cetera. So, yeah, it's, it was a really interesting point that stuck with me. since. I, I've heard that point just as to corroborate it, that that's, that, that is, that's, I've heard that a few times that that's the case. But I do think it's shifting. There are really good, the funds, you know, are driven by ex-founders. There are ex-founders who have their own capital under management. And I think those people, they are emerging, but I think that's almost like, if we were to have this conversation two to three years on, mm -hmm. everything we're sort of talking about, not theoretically, but kind of still being proven, I think will, will bear itself out. And in as a result, you're going to get a new wave of founders who are just going to behave like this. It's just going to be completely normal. You know, this is this. Of course, of course, I would behave in this way. Why wouldn't I? And you're just going to have a yeah. whole new crop of investors who are the ones as 
which we just talked about, who are, you, who, are, who are adopting these approaches, who aren't threatened by them, who jump on this, you know, who want to get in fast early. But I think specifically, like, linking to what you're doing, I think those investors as well will understand exits differently. And they will understand that when they're backing, particularly at a very early stage, maybe, you know, pre-C, maybe even pre-revenue, they're backing the founder. We talk a lot about founder market fit, as you know, on this, they, you know, they're evaluating it. They, they, they will, in their planning, think, do you know what? If I can achieve an exit on Foundy, um, you know, or another plan, obviously there'll be other platforms, but let's just stay, stay with you, you know, I'm founding within two to three years and it's this, this multiple, well, that's actually a really healthy journey to go on. And actually that multiple aligns to who that founder is, why they're trying to fix the problem, why I'm trying to back it. So the multiple of the exit almost becomes even more intelligent if, as an aligned to, you know, earlier, because if it's baked in earlier, it's much mm-hmm. easier if, if you see what I mean. But I'd love yeah, to have absolutely. your view on that. Well, I, I think there's um, uh, what has been so interesting over the last year or so, just speaking with so many founders, acquirers, and just learning about the different perceptions of valuation between bootstrap founders, for example, who own all of the business versus those that have raised VC money. Like one, one could have raised 10 million pounds and be generating half a million ARR. A bootstrap founder, zero funding, half a million ARR. And their yeah. perceptions of valuation are so, so different. Like bootstrap founders are very much willing to accept reasonable valuations compared to that of uh, VC-backed companies that have raised at 30x on, on 12 trillion month revenue. And, What's reasonable, uh, Joe? Just so, just so we have some context for a bootstrap founder, what would they see as a reasonable win within, say, a three to four year time frame? For a B2B SaaS company? Yeah. I mean, first of all, you'd love, you ideally need to get to Profitability because EBITDA is heavily favoured. Yeah. But um, on on a on a revenue multiple, I mean, it, it really varies. It could be it could be as as low as two x, or it could be an upwards of of fifteen x on on twelve trading month revenue. Pro- probably sub um, six though, to to be realistic. It really depends on the level of strategic value that that company has. On, from a profitability standpoint, again, it can vary significantly from 4x to um, 30x. Uh, again, it really depends on the size that you've you've got to. Uh, could could be even. I mean, if, if the company's made you know, a couple of thousand pounds on, on profit, of course, it's. I wouldn't really call it an EBITDA multiple, but um, yeah. The, 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 the back to the perceptions. Then, I mean, it's 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 really interesting. But I think what there the, the massive issue with the tech sector as a whole is is the lack of insights education on building deep-rooted strategic value financial value in the lead-up to an exit i think everyone dreams about selling a business and hopefully for a life-changing amount of money but even those that have raised capital often they're not given the tools and knowledge and network to build deep-rooted strategic value and that's partially because a lot of vcs say to their founders oh don't worry about the exit it'll take care of itself it'll take care of itself you know focus on um the product or something, which to a large extent is true, but I think, and I've met a lot of a lot of founders that haven't necessarily laid out preparation, building up lots of recurring income, securing patents on their products to create that moat of defensibility, uh, cre- creating a, a strong brand presence, which can increase uh, building community and things. What once you get a, insights into all of the key points that strategic value can be attributed to. That is where founders can really build out early preparation, even if they're two or three years away, so that when the time comes to sell, 
they can secure quite literally millions more in cash payout when they when they sell the company and, and that comes from more competitive tension more bids and uh yeah a, a better MA process so can we talk about maybe some case studies that are actually sort of you know on foundy at the moment like like what what's let's talk about you know just two or three different examples of how and talk about maybe you know how that how they would on boards but from that from the moment they've onboarded to kind of the the, the exit just a, two or three examples that give it you know a good picture of a, of, of a typical month in foundy sure sure so we're largely we're looking at this on two-stage process so um we're initially focusing on software e-commerce and agency businesses and then stage two which will take place late next year probably it'll be more traditional businesses uh, that we'll be focusing on to help help them get acquired um so the process is designed to be hopefully as, as seamless as possible though we're always trying to make it better for users they can create a, an anonymous seller profile in minutes so even if they don't plan to to sell in the next six months or so you could list on our marketplace within a few minutes anonymously and start attracting buyers uh, very quickly. Uh, the profile has all kind of high level information, doesn't reveal the identity, goes live on the marketplace once approved. Um, although we are quite selective, uh, have to be, so they can maintain quality for buyers. And then, um, yeah, with, within days, you can start receiving messages uh, expressing interest from, from buyers. We've, we've got about 9,000 buyers at the moment, cumulative budget of around 15 billion pounds. Uh, our buyer buyers are growing by about 900 a month at the moment. I'm expecting that to increase even faster in the next few weeks. Um, and that just means more possibilities for relevant buyers to be messaging your profile and hopefully moving towards uh, letters of intent. So you engage with buyers, they initial, and then they undertake initial due diligence. And we're trying to streamline that by pulling through uh, performance metrics from your typical accounting and, and customer tools like Stripe, Google Analytics. Um, and then that visualizes the data. So the due diligence can be streamlined significantly, minimize that back and forth breakdown communication. Once due diligence complete, you can then go, uh, you'll be receive a letter of intent. So this is a 10 page document well it can be as short as two but typically 10 page can also be added to terms non-legally binding a bit like a term sheet in investment round and that just lays out basic terms of the deal including evaluation how much cash etc i'd always encourage founders to try and get as much detail into that heads of terms as possible because this document obviously translates into the final share purchase agreement so it means there's less things that they can the buyer can suddenly pull out the woodwork to add in the spa um, once mutually agreed, that LOI is, is then signed and then the SBA is, is produced. We're trying to, founders trying to switch things up and empower founders, take, take power back in control of selling their business. Otherwise, it's quite complex and, and, and stressful because there's just so many steps to it. But we're trying to educate founders on how to build the SBA themselves, how to build heads of terms themselves, and then they can give that to the, to the buyers so that they can make it a bit more founder friendly. Uh, and then um, once the SPA is, is confirmed, that's then signed, and then the money is moved into an escrow facility or, or just before the SPA is sorted, and then the, the money is released. So I always encourage founders to try and secure as much cash up front in a deal as, uh, as possible. It is quite common, though, to have performance earnouts or deferred consideration over multiple years. But of course, 
as they're taking over the business, you, you ideally want as much cash up front as reasonably possible. And, and then and happy how, days. Hopefully. How, 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 and what's your commercial model around that? Like, um, so let's yep. say let's say there is a, a carry, like there's an earn out. Let, let's say it's a four, £4 million pound acquisition, um, yep. but there's an earn out of, you know, 12 months. Like what what's – give us a sense of – um of, of how that works sure so uh, Foundy's commercial model is uh, a success fee so it's free it's one to three percent depending on the valuation so it's free to list as, as a business owner uh list for free it's free to engage with buyers um buyers is also free to join the marketplace browse through hundreds of businesses of sale and then um, if they want to start messaging sellers they have to pay a very small subscription fee um no success fees on the buy side but there is a one to three percent success fee so on a four million pound deal it's about 2.6 percent i believe roughly about that but for perspective that's quite significantly about about two times lower than the, the market average and yet our buy network is is much more sector focused and our apparently our, our quality of service is is, is is quite high as well so comparable to traditional advisory firms we hopefully provide equal, if not better, service and um, and and it's three times faster as well. So what what's what's the plan? I think uh, you know you're, you said when when we first jumped on the call, um, you're doing a, a round. And so what's what's the general plans just to wrap up on you know coming into 2024? What 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 does Foundy look like? Sure. So um, we've uh, recently started a funding round and have secured a, a lead investor. So um, a, a major VC fund has offered to to lead that. So hopefully closing about two million pounds um, in, in in about four weeks from now, um, and that will help a lot just to fuel innovation. Um, hire a few people, only a few people. Again, I've learned now not to talk too much about hiring people, but um, a few people. But really double down on customer experience, end to end functionality. Yeah. I, I really want to build a platform that you just log in cup of tea at the end of the day like wow like this is just you just, it's, you just feel at home being able to just control everything with your m a yeah. process yeah. at your fingertips so lots of incredible uh, incredibly exciting tools that we're bringing out soon for founders and buyers and you're doing i see just just to wrap up you do all all the time you're doing educate i can never say that word educative um materials you put out lots of kind of content don't you on the mna and um you know and, and how to think about it how to prepare um so it's worth obviously tuning into your socials because i see you do a lot of that as well which is great so i'm pleased you brought that up actually i think education and community are going to be really really big things not just for for foundy but for other companies actually uh, giving insights, especially into complex, long-winded processes like exit processes, which sometimes can take over a year. We've got it down to sub three months typically, but um, we, we're giving tips and tools on how to build deep strategic value, financial value, even whilst growing the business, even if you're years away from an exit. And we're trying to encourage founders to join the platform years in advance of an exit. And then that way they can access the educational portal, um, which is where we're having uh you know masterclass you know those celebrity videos yeah, of course. yeah 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 well we won't well in my eyes they're celebrities but we'll get some due diligence experts for example to to sit next to me You've and we'll got do a some... weird sense of celebrity <laughs> yeah. i know that's a weird insight to what you do on the weekend watching due diligence videos on masterclass but that's that's your thing do what you want <laughs> 
Well, yeah, that is what <laughs> you, you caught me. You caught me. No, it's like that. So we'll get we'll get experts in. Um, yeah, in my eyes, celebrities to go through each of the steps. So everything from deal origination, we'll get an expert in from from that angle. We'll get an expert in for due diligence, the legal documents. Um, I get Anthony Rose, for example, well-respected yeah. individuals yeah. from legal's, and we'll educate founders on their on their way up building the business and during the actual exit process itself and 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 on top of that they'll be able to get access to the community because i think a lot of people can learn a lot just from meeting like-minded founders so we're going to create peer-to-peer groups uh and the like so it's quite exciting so wrapping up as a vision i I actually what you said you just said like about a minute ago i thought was super interesting it's almost like the ideal scenario is with the cup of tea they've watched some of your celebrity videos but there's a founder has launched their business <laughs> almost at the point of launching or let's just say an early metric like their advanced assurance they should start thinking about they you almost want them on your platform there so it's active they, they're thinking about the exit and the insight into that is almost from day one they're starting to think about it. rather than right at the end you're almost the, the vision is to bring it right to the front and just to work through that arc and obviously loads of all of the factors that will change that but you're at least thinking about it and control of it from day one that, that sounds like where you might end up right yeah absolutely well, I'll, I'll reverse the question dan when was the last time you met a SaaS founder that said they were going to pass their business down to their grandchildren <laughs> I, I, I haven't yet met one and and what I mean by that is we're trying to democratize access to exit opportunities because it's it's this myriad of complexion no one no one really understands how to build a, a, a business maximize the yeah. final valuation people try and figure out at the point of exit when they could have done that years before so we're tr- we're truly trying to modernize the process and bring people together teach them how to to maximize evaluation, but also save a lot of time, money when finding buyers, engaging with them. Um, I mean, getting onto a 30 minute call uh, with a prospective buyer, let's say it's your competitor, for example, and you've, you've dreamed about buying or selling to them for years. And it, it's, it makes it difficult because the buyer will be able to pick up pretty quickly um, that you've had this ambition and they'll just slice off value yeah. um, at the last yeah. minute, which can be really detrimental to shareholders. So um, yeah, it's, so it's kind of more like emerge and acquisition. It's like it gradually, the gradually emerges to the point of acquisition, something like that. As a maybe, maybe, maybe that's the title yeah, of the podcast episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, no, see, in all seriousness, I, I, I really think what you're doing is this one wants to have the conversation and, and bring it to the is so vital, and it's connected to sort of so many strands that we've we've discussed in in previous series. But you know, it, 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 it's just. I, I totally believe in where you're trying to get to. And I think we haven't even touched on like the mental health aspect of like, you know, having a proper exit frame properly mm-hmm. and be able to have, all, but there's so much damage done by badly framed exits. So there's got to be so much good and, you know, upside done in properly framed exits. So I, I really appreciate you sharing, sharing what you're, you know, you, I, I, you yourself are sort of you know, almost the beginnings of that. I know you've got a long way to go, but you know, just showing that that can that 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 vision could be achieved um, is just it's just great. And 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 thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Yeah, the the, the most most fulfilling aspect is is being able to hear from founders that have sold the business through Foundy and they've bought a house. Uh, and one of them is like, now I can put my kids through uh, private education, and others that want to travel around the world 
uh, and have like kind of bought these all around the world ticket things, which I didn't know existed, but they look a lot of fun. <laughs> it's amazing. That's to us, the team here at Foundy, so, so fulfilling. It's what makes me get up every day and really, really enjoy what we do. Founder tech decoded. Founder tech decoded. Founder tech decoded. Founder tech decoded.